Hi, I'm Kay. Uh, the Old Testament reading is found in Genesis 3, 8 through 10. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees in the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. The word of the Lord. Hi, my name is Diana. The New Testament reading is found in Hebrews 10, verses 23 through 25. Let's hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, because the one who made the promises is reliable. And let us consider each other carefully for the purpose of speaking love and good deeds. Don't stop meeting together with other believers, which some people have gotten into the habit of doing. Instead, encourage each other, especially as you see the day drawing near. The word of the Lord. Hi, my name is Pam, and thank you for standing for the gospel reading found in John 15, verses 12 through 15. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer because the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my Father. The Gospel of the Lord. Please remain standing with me as we pray. Lord, open our hearts to hear your word for us, not just your word for our whole congregation, but the word that you desire to whisper to each of us personally and, and individually this morning. May we not leave here without sensing your presence with us in this room. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray these things. Amen. And you may be seated. Well, good morning, New Life Downtown. I am Sarah Jackson. I am the director of our spiritual formation ministries here. Um, different Sarah Jackson than who you saw up there. I don't know who that joker was. Someone who likes to blink a lot. <laughs> um, but one of the, so one of the things that we do here is we offer the emotionally healthy, healthy discipleship courses. And it's out of those courses that our summer teaching series um, has come forth on kind of this rule of life. So we're calling it the whole life, a series on integrated spirituality. We're looking at how do these different sectors of our life, so to speak, we're speaking specifically about um, relationships, about work, about rest and prayer. How are each of these areas of our life infused with the love and grace of God? And then how do we live that out as we experience God's presence? And this is the final um, sermon on our section on relationships. A couple weeks ago, Pastor Glenn preached on marriage. Last week, Pastor Jason on singleness. And this week, which I am terming the culmination of the three is on friendship. Now, I have been fascinated by this subject of friendship since I can remember. I'm uh, a six on the Enneagram, so I'm concerned with like 
Who's my group? Who's, my, who's, who's on the raft with me? Who am I safest with? Um, but I'm curious what this subject makes you think about. Does the, does the term friendship make you think of a specific person maybe that you've known for a long time? Or maybe some group of people that you feel really comfortable with? Or does the term friendship make you think of maybe a relationship that's sort of drifted away or gone sour in some way? Or worse, maybe you've even been hurt by someone who is a so-called friend. Or maybe you think of the ways that you don't feel like you measure up as a friend sometimes. I think it's easiest when we hear the term friends or friendship to think about cultural ideas or like Hollywood images of friendship. So you've got, you know, Sam and Frodo or, you know, the iconic work relationship between Tina and Amy. Or if you're around my age, you just can't help but think of Ross and Chandler. Or is it Ross and Joey? But most likely, if you live in Colorado, your best friend is a dog. <laughs> but I'm not devaluing these things, but, but here's what I hope for this morning. I'm hoping that we can raise the bar for friendship so that we see friendship as a crucial part of our discipleship, of our, our spiritual formation. But in order to do this, I think we need a couple things. First, we need kind of a better theological framework. What, what does friendship mean inside of, like what did God mean for, free, for friendship? And then secondly, what are just some practical tools that help us see friendship in a different way? And I'm gonna use the term spiritual friendship or sacred friendship a lot during this talk this morning. And what I mean by that is, the best type of friendship you can imagine. The safest place on earth. So a spiritual friendship can be a friendship between two or more people, but it's also a friendship where God is there. So that's what I mean by spiritual friendship. So, so let me first give us just a little piece of sort of a theological structure or framework for friendship. So first of all, I believe that spiritual friendship is the original intention for creation. So before the world ever existed, there was this triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, fully knowing each other, fully known, um, preferring the other, um, sharing and receiving at the same time. Maybe you can call that mutuality. And that was enough. But then God created us, people. Why? Well, there's a Christian psychologist and spiritual director named David Benner who wrote a book on spiritual friendship called Sacred Companions. And this is what he has to say about God's plan for friendship. Creation was God's plan for friendship. We were not brought into existence simply so we could worship God, nor were we created simply for service. Human beings exist because of God's desire for companionship. We are the fruit of God's love reaching out 
toward creatures who share enough similarity that a relationship is possible. Friendship isn't just another way to pass the time while we're here on earth. Friendship is the stuff of life. It's why we were created, it's how we were created. There is another famous writer on friendship, actually from hundreds of years ago, it was a monk in the 12th century, his name is Aelred, and that's where I'm using this term spiritual friendship is from his book, Spiritual Friendship. And he talks about how we were created um, precisely as friendship material. This is what he says. How beautiful it is that the second human being was taken from the side of the first so that nature might teach that human beings are equal and as it were collateral and that there, and that there is in human affairs neither a superior nor an inferior, which is a characteristic of true friendship. Hence, nature from the very beginning implanted the desire for friendship and charity in the heart of every person. So we were created with this equality in mind. The only hierarchy needed is just the presence of God with us. And sure, I mean, we had work to do, but we were doing it together. A couple weeks ago, Pastor Glenn talked about how in a marriage relationship, the way that a couple shows dignity or a preference for one another is this submission to each other, which is a way of saying like, we're together in this. That's friendship. We're on the same side. We are in this together. That's how we got here. So what happened? Well, Genesis 3 spells it out. So what started as complete unity, uh, a preference for each other, kind of this awareness of like the common good was cut short by a whispered lie. God doesn't really love you. You really can't trust him. You really can't trust anyone else but yourself. You're the only one that can get yourself what you really need. So from that moment that that lie was believed, we used our self-interest instead of an interest for the other. So the splendor or the beauty of this mutual relationship was corrupted and, and contention and suspicion and envy were introduced, a sense of competition with each other. So from that point on, we would struggle with this innate desire to either protect ourselves or control or both at the same time. And we would be made to feel it's very much alone. So our intuition now isn't first to just give ourselves completely to each other, but an instinct to protect ourselves and to kind of get what's ours. And it's also our natural inclination at this point to, to question what is true. 
Can I even trust you? So from now on until new heaven, new earth, our journey is no longer just the casual walk with our creator in the cool of the day. No, it's a long, painful, very risky process to recover that ideal relationship that's open and and mutual, not only with God, but with each other. It's not easy anymore. So I can think of some examples of how self-interest and self-protection have affected relationships in my own life. I would love to hear some of yours if you would like to share, but I will go first. So um, I'm thinking specifically of a time when uh, I was in college and my best friend Heather, or Hevs, and I decided it would be a great idea to take this 17-hour road trip to the beach for spring break. We were in our last year, oh, in her new car, by the way. So we were in our last year of university And I'm pretty sure there was just a lot under the surface as far as like transition was coming and all these questions about the meaning of life and our major we had chosen. And what started out as just an innocent road trip to the beach, got some good 90s rap music blaring, turned into arguments about directions and driving techniques and there was some name calling. I believe the term trip Nazi was thrown out to someone. And there were hours of cold silence. And it all ended with me slamming the door after heads dropped me off at my dorm. And I can't help but contrast this with the recent experience that I had with a running buddy of mine, Nicole, on the Santa Fe Trail one Saturday morning. Maybe we were out of breath from our run, but somehow we kind of fell into this quiet together as we ran. And our our feet were pounding together at the same time, and I noticed, weird, it kind of sounds like one person running, because we were actually in step with each other. And maybe it was just the cool of the morning or the comfort of my friend next to me, but I was overcome. I actually got teary, which made it harder to breathe than it already was. And I just thought, this is friendship. There's no competition here. There's no need to like explain ourselves to each other or look at, well, how are you doing it? And how does that mean how I'm doing it? And we were just together on the same side doing our thing. So back to Genesis 3. So it's broken now, and we don't know how to fix it. And we, we read through the rest of the Old Testament about God like continually reaching out to his people in love, but we seem confused. Are you a parent? Are you a king? Um, there's just a lot of confusion about how to be on God's side, let alone how to be on each other's side, how to be a neighbor to each other. And then we have Jesus. When we look at the way that Jesus interacted with people, especially those closest to him that he called his friends, we, just, we can't help but notice that he offers a new way of, of friendship with God and with each other. 
So sometimes it's easier to think about this if we just imagine him as a person. I don't want to read the Gospels as, you know, historical fiction. I want to, I want to picture in my mind this real person as he was acting in his own unique ways. So can you imagine he's with this group of people a long time. They're, they're walking a lot together. Um, they don't have a car to fight over, but they are eating thousands of meals together over the years. Maybe they sleep outside and wake up, sit around the campfire, eat breakfast together. He's conversing, he's doing life together with these people. And, and the gospels really show us how many ridiculous things happen in some of those moments. I mean, some of his friends say some really weird things to him. There's constant self-protection going on with Jesus right there. But he really seemed to enjoy them, didn't he? And we know that because he's pretty patient with his responses, but he's not just patient and kind, he also tells his own secrets to them. He actually shares with him like his intention, his hopes for his life, the things that are bothering him. Jesus is inviting his friends to come out of these places of self-protection and to walk in the space that he walks in, this, this self-giving love. I mean, he could have, he's very influential. He could have rallied these people as an army. He could have used these, you know, loyal friends to do his bidding for him, but he didn't. He made the relationship of friendship the most important relationship. He even talks about how the way that we relate to each other as married or single, that's passing away. But this element of friendship endures forever. Jesus changed our post-fall relationship with God. Another way to say it is that Jesus made friendship a sign a sign that points to a recovery of that garden relationship. This is what Jesus was saying by the way he did friendship. We are on the same side. We are together in this with God and with each other. I am doing a great reversal of our relationship. We can have mutuality, a giving and receiving. We can be loyal to each other. This is what spiritual friendship is. Spiritual friendship is God offering his friendship to us. And then out of what we've received, we're offering true friendship to each other. And then in the middle of that friendship, we're like looking back to God again and it, that cycle just continues over and over and over again forever. And we know that this was Jesus's ideal for the future because when we read about his last words before his death and resurrection with his disciples, there's, there's chapters in John, like John 13 through 17. Jesus is speaking his heart about his 
friends. I want to read again John 15, 12 through 15, because this is Jesus' best idea. This is why he came. He said, this is my commandment, or a better way to say it maybe is, this is my instruction to you. This is my best ideal, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Spiritual friendship is Jesus' vision for the church. His idea of the greatest love is to sacrifice one's whole life for each other and to share with each other, not just to always be taking, not just to only give and hold people at arm's length. And he wants us to offer invitation to others to join in. So this is the way that the church is sustained. This is how we stay together, but it's also how it grows. So David Benner, I referenced him earlier, says the church is supposed to be a dynamic network of spiritual friendships. Can you imagine that? Our church is composed entirely of a network of spiritual friendships, then we really would be the safest place on earth, wouldn't we? But how do we do this? We still have our limitations at work. We still disappoint each other. We still mess up. We still can't go on a road trip without fighting. (laughs) We need some help. We need some ideas for how to be good friends with each other. Um, The kind of friend I'm talking about is someone that can walk with someone else and with God at the same time. So I want to move into just a couple practical tools for doing the work of spiritual friendship, this work that we've been called to. But first I want to ask, is this something that you value? Do you believe that this is one of the most important areas of your life? Do you believe that God makes himself known to you through friendship? That God is present in friendship? And I know that there's a spectrum of people in any room. Maybe you came in here and hear this and think, I thought like intimate friendships were mostly for women. I just wanna remind you that Jesus was a dude and that some of the best friendship stories in the history of the world are between men. But maybe your best idea of friendship right now is um, with people who just like to do the same stuff that you do. Or maybe um, your best ideal is just people in your same life stage. Or maybe your best idea of a friend is someone who just doesn't ask too many questions. (laughs) Maybe you feel like you're not good at friendship. You don't have a lot of friends. Maybe you feel like, I'm great at friendship. I have so many friends, I don't know what to do with them. Well, these tools are not about how to like win friends and influence people. These tools are about how to take this idea of friendship and raise it to a new level, a sacred level. I wanna help us reimagine what friendship could look like in our world, okay? So, 
First practical thing we can do, and I added lots of alliteration for Pastor Glenn and Pastor Jason, <laughs> add to chemistry commitment and consistency. Add to chemistry commitment and consistency. So five years ago, Jason and I were living in Kentucky and we moved to Tulsa. And I left a really close group of friends back in Kentucky. We had chemistry, we had been meeting consistently together over the years, we had proven our commitment to each other over and over again. But in Tulsa, I had one friend. But eventually in our new church, I, I came to notice just a little chemistry with a couple of other women who seemed decent enough creatures. And I decided I'm gonna take a risk. I'm gonna ask these women if they would be willing to meet with me weekly, like on a Wednesday night, and um, just have some like conversation and prayer. So no group leader, no hierarchy, no book, study that we were doing. We had a little structure to kind of keep it from getting weird. <laughs> we would do a little silence. We would just sit in silence for three minutes. I think someone would read a psalm and we would spend, we even timed it on our phones. Like you get 10 minutes to share what's going on, what's the biggest thing in your life right now, or how is it with your soul? We changed the question over the, the weeks. And then we would pray for each other. And I remember it, it took a while for them to say yes. I remember them asking questions like, does it have to be every week? And like, how long am I committing to this? Um, but eventually both of them said yes. And we first committed to three months together, meeting every week. Three months turned into six months, six months turned into two years. And it became, for all three of us, I know, because we talked about it, one of the most precious commitments of our week. And when I moved away, they invited two other people to join that group and they've been going for the last two and a half years. This, this practice of commitment and consistency is supported in scripture. We were reading it earlier from the book of Hebrews, where we're encouraged as believers to hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. And this only happens through a faithfulness to continue meeting together. And that doesn't just mean meeting together on Sunday mornings, which is also beautiful and important. It means meeting together with other believers, even just a few at a time. This is a way to guard our hearts. It helps us stay together while we are waiting for Christ to come back. And sometimes it just seems like a really long time till he is gonna come back. We need to stay together. I joke with Jason about a friendship that he has that he calls his best friends. And I'm always like, you never talk to him. <laughs> and he's like, we talk like once a year or less consistently. And I'm like, well, that's a consistency. But what can we do that helps us track less of our lives in, in a chunk? You know, it is good to catch up with a friend and to hear about what's been going on in their life. But how do we actually track certain seasons of our life together. We need more consistency. So my suggestion is just start with a couple people you think are decent enough creatures and who maybe you've had a laugh with or you think, oh, I'd kind of like to get to know them more and see if they would be willing to commit to something more intentional. 
I mean, it is a risk. They might say no. You might get disappointed. It might be clunky, but it might not. And it might not, especially if you have an intentional way for how you use that time together. So that brings me to my next point. Practice soul conversations. What do I mean by that? Do I mean that we need to always cry together? (laughs) I can just picture people being like, nope, I'm out. No, we're not doing that. No, what I mean by a soul conversation is that we are sharing with our friend our experience of God or how we're not experiencing God sometimes. And this is really different from a basic conversation about like, hey, how's your week going? It might be a little bit about what happened in your week, but it's bigger than that. It requires good question asking, and it also requires thoughtful, honest replies. So so basically what we're doing when we're talking about soul conversation is we're checking to see is what's going on in here. So what I think, what I believe, what I'm feeling, is that measuring up with what's going on out here, how I'm living? Are these two things going together or is there some sort of a fracture here? So you might already talk about certain parts of your life with your friends, maybe your work or the people who annoy you or what's going on in the world today. But it's pretty easy without intention to just slip into just giving our opinion, right? Or venting or philosophizing about, well, if they would just do this and it would work out better. Soul conversation is different than that. Instead of venting and philosophizing, it's reflection. So instead, when you chat with your friend about his frustrating work situation or about her relationship with her sister, you're getting more personal than that. You're asking, where is God? Where are you in that? Is there something God's inviting you to do or to think about this situation? What is God asking you maybe to let go of or, or do more of, step into? As friends, we are, we're supposed to help each other cultivate a curiosity about God. What is God doing? Where is God here and now? If you have an area of your life that feels um, dissonant, dissonant meaning clanging, or it feels bigger or louder than the other areas of your life, Probably that's exactly where God is inviting you in to be closer to him. And we, we can't do that just by noticing. It also takes processing and reflection. So I knew a group of men, this was again back in t- Kentucky, who every so many months would go on what they called a shared ordeal. And I'm pretty sure the shared ordeal was something dangerous possibly borderline, not legal, (laughs) but they were um, specifically taking time to experience an adventure together. But a part of that adventure was they would spend time reflecting on their lives together and they would go person by person. So when they came back from these trips, 
Yes, they had stories. Yes, they had laughs. Yes, they had done something amazing, or so they thought. But they had also taken the time to process what was really meaningful about their lives. And when we do that, it's like, it's like we're sifting out what doesn't really matter and holding on to what actually has meaning. And this is friendship. So we have reflection. That's a part of soul conversation. Another part of soul conversation is discernment. When we're talking about discernment, we're asking ourselves with our friend, what's good and right here? What's, what's true? We help each other find what is real. When we're at a place in our lives of crisis, either something has happened that's hard, or maybe we're at a point where we're needing to make a decision, we're at a fork in the road, so to speak, it's uncomfortable. We need help sometimes discerning what is the next right thing, or what is actually true here and what's just in my head. Have you ever carried with you confusion or doubt, like really carried it with you in a heavy way for months or years? It's too much to bear alone, isn't it? We need friends who will help us sift and will also remind us in that time of discernment that can be so uncomfortable to look to the face of God. We know that true discernment is happening when we realize God loves me, God is for me, he is guiding me out of his love. He will not leave me alone. That's true discernment. And that takes spiritual friendship. So let's, let's dare to ask our friends some of these hard questions. Another way of reflection that we can, that we can do when we're discerning something is to ask um, something along the lines of like, how do you think God is looking at you right now? Does God seem distant, close, upset at you. This is a way that we hold a mirror up to each other. I had a friend do this for me in a time in life where I was literally just being eaten alive. I had postpartum depression. I had crippling doubt about who I was as a person, what I even offered in the world, about faith, what was real. And I remember my friend coming to visit me to see our new baby, and, and we went out to eat, just the two of us. I remember sitting at the restaurant and kind of daring to really tell her what I was struggling with. <clears throat> and I was especially struggling with this picture of God as a disappointed and disgusted father who was just shaking his head and so, so just done with my worthless life. And I dared to tell her that. And I remember sitting there, the food was on the table, I couldn't touch it. I was so sad, just crying silently, twisting my napkin in my lap, looking down. I couldn't even look her in the eye. And I remember at one point I did look up and she was crying. She wasn't touching her food either. And she was quiet. You know what I really needed for discernment in that moment? I needed someone there with me and I needed them to be quiet. 
because I needed the space to speak the lie so that I could hear it with my own ears. What? God hates my worthless life? Like, did that just come out of my mouth? She didn't need to go into some helpful cliche about, that's not true, God really loves you. She didn't need to give me advice. She needed to sit with me in the weight of what I was feeling. And after she did that, her compassionate words after that meant so much more. And they did help me discern. The next step was to go see a doctor and get help. I was struggling. So the final aspect of soul conversation besides reflection and discernment is confession. And this asks, how can I be free? When we confess, what we're doing is we are telling the truth about ourselves. And we are also willing to make the necessary shifts that need to be made. So every week at New Life Downtown, before we come to the table, we make a beautiful general confession to God. But who do you confess your specifics to? And how often? There's a spiritual director named Alice Freiling who says this about what happens in soul conversation. She says, we ask one another as God asked Adam and Eve, where are you? Where are you today in your spiritual life? If we respond to that question thoughtfully and truthfully, we will probably have to venture out from behind some of the bushes where we've been hiding. When we tell the truth to each other, we're not just helping with, you know, blind spots like the lettuce in our teeth or, hey, you really took a tone there with uh, that lady at the checkout. No, we are literally bloodletting our shame with each other. It's like a leech, a friend leech. I'm spitting everywhere. Um, it's a friend to literally help empty out the shame that just builds up over time, over our sin. We need each other so that we can become more aware of the presence of God even when we've messed up. We need to know that God is here so that we know how to live now. So to, pr to practice confession, we need to talk about our obstacles with each other. We need to talk about our sin. We need to talk about the ways that we said no to God this week. Talk about the state of your soul. Talk about what's entangling you or confusing you or shaming you. Talk about how you hurt someone or what bad habits have crept into your time. Talk about what makes you angry. Talk about what tempts you. Talk about everything, not with everyone, but with true spiritual friends. Don't leave anything in the dark. 
If we make confession a regular practice, we've got to make forgiveness a regular practice as well. Because instead of a response that condemns our friend's sin and shames them more, or a response that pities or justifies them and makes it seem like, no, it's not not that bad. The best response of forgiveness is actually what releases. And there's two parts to this. When we practice forgiveness to each other, with each other, we first of all pray for God's forgiveness, but then we offer it to each other even verbally, in the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. What would it do to our lives to hear that spoken to us? If we dared to tell someone the worst thing or even just that nagging thing that we just can't get rid of and they prayed with us and then said, in the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Could we leave that time together feeling free, released. But the only way that we can do this is by including, and this is my last point, the thing that sets apart spiritual friendship from any other kind of relationship, and it's prayer. So besides just having soul conversation, add to conversation prayer. Prayer is the center of spiritual friendship. When we pray with someone, it's a way of acknowledging God is here now. So instead of directing our souls just to each other, it's a way of continually directing our souls to God. And it's also a way to enjoy our friendship. I mean, Jesus prayed with his friends and he is God. That boggles my mind. But anyway, (laughs) um, let's, let's think for a minute about this miracle that happens if we dare to pray with each other. I'm guessing that some of you in this room have experienced this. So let's say you're in a place where you feel comfortable enough to pray with someone. Maybe they've shared with you, like, oh, I've got this going on in my week or whatever. And so you're praying to Christ on behalf of your friend because you care about your friend and you love the Lord. And as you're talking to God about this friend that you so appreciate, all of a sudden, like your love for your friend gets directed to God and it just intermingles. And then the love you have for God and appreciation you have for God is directed to your friend and it's all tied up together. This is the splendor of true friendship and charity that Elra talked about. It's hard to distinguish the love of God and the friendship with each other. It's all tied in together. This is what we have to look forward to in the new heaven and the new earth that Jesus promised. And for some of us, this comes really naturally. Maybe you're the kind of person who just kind of naturally goes back and forth from conversation into prayer. But maybe for others, it's, it's not that easy. It's clunky. Maybe you've never even prayed aloud. There's a learning curve there. So a couple things to remember if that feels like you. One is it's really helpful to remember that 
all of our conversation is prayer. I remember my mentor saying that one time, we were supposed to pray at the end of something and we'd run out of time and she said, God, all of our conversation is prayer, so you know what we're saying. I was like, I never thought of it that way. And how would I talk if all my conversation was as a prayer? Another way of raising that prayer bar to a new level is to actually pray for your friend when you're not together. So it's really easy maybe to send a text or you've thought of someone. What if you took 30 seconds, 60 seconds to talk to God about that friend? It starts opening our hearts to each other in a new way. The point is that there's something about acknowledging God in our midst that actually changes our friendships. It changes the way that we relate to each other. It is the thing that raises friendship to new levels of intimacy and to new levels of significance. They mean something. So when you laugh with that friend that you have prayed with, it is a deeper laugh. When you have tears over the pain in someone's life, it's different than just, man, I feel really bad for that person. You're literally bearing their burdens with them. And friends, the day is coming when this type of friendship is not just gonna be available for a few people. This is the way that we will all relate to each other when anxiety is gone and competition has been destroyed and the ugly ways that we respond to each other are no more, and even death itself, that painful thing that separates us in friendship now, is destroyed, this is how we're gonna relate to each other. So this way of friendship is gonna be poured out on all of us, and all of our love is gonna be poured out on God, and it's just gonna be that intermingling, truth, beauty, goodness of each other, enjoying each other and God, the return to the garden relationship. This is our hope, amen? We can't give to others what we haven't received for ourselves. So in a minute here, we're gonna turn our attention to the table, but I have an invitation for you today as we do that. I'm wondering if when you come to receive the elements today that maybe you could just in your own way, hold in your heart this, this promise of friendship that is going to be made complete when Christ returns. And maybe the way you can do that is to acknowledge just to the Lord, this is where I'm having a hard time with friendship. Maybe you can think of a specific friendship right now that's challenging for you, or maybe a loneliness that you have that's just pervasive. Maybe you can just acknowledge the truth of yourself to God. I have a hard time giving in this way, or I have a hard time receiving friendship from others in this way. And the reason why we're doing that is because when we come to the table, we're coming because of Jesus' friendship. The reason why we're practicing this is because Jesus 
literally looked his people in the eye, and those people are us, and said, I'm, I'm giving everything for you. I am not holding anything back. I want friendship with you. So let's hold that in our hearts today as we make this confession together and come to the table to receive.